Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. TVP's announcements. This is a series that we have on our network where we give you announcements about upcoming projects and platforms that are entering the crypto ecosystem. Now, this is a disclaimer because we do that now. So, here's the thing this is the presentation of a platform, and that's it. This is an investment advice. Don't take it as investment advice. If you like the platform, seek it out in the show notes. Go there, buy the things, invest in the platform. Help them out with your skill sets. But we're not giving you any recommendations or advice. This is just for you to listen to and soak up some new information about a new platform in this ecosystem. So, please enjoy. Hey everybody, it's D. And if you heard that amazing signature tune by The Absurdist, you know that that absurdist tune means that you have an announcement coming up. And today I'm joined with Sam Williams, the CEO and co-founder of rweave.org. And uh, he's here to talk a little bit about data storage, a data storage protocol on the blockchain. And so we can dive right in. Sam, we always like first, you, first thanks for coming on. Thanks, and, for, uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be oh. here. Oh, perfect! I'm glad you, I'm glad that you want to be here. We like to, we like having guests. So, we always like to ask that initial that genesis question. Uh, we ask it to everyone on announcements. Um, you know, what were you doing before blockchain met your life? Um, everybody typically is you know doing something in some career field that's kind of tangentially connected to blockchain tech, and then somebody slides them an article and it like just they take the red pill and they're leaving the matrix. So let us know what that, what that story is like for you. Well, I mean, I first came across Bitcoin around the time it reached parity with the dollar. Um, but I, I didn't pay it much attention at the time. You know, it was just sort of there. And then I followed it for a while. Um, when I was in university, I, I started mining some Bitcoin. And I, <laughs> I bought the Ethereum presale with some Bitcoin that I'd mined. Uh, yeah, and that was when I started paying real attention. I bought it actually just because, you know, I, I really loved the vision. I didn't expect to make a profit. Um, yeah, and so then after that, I started my PhD in distributed systems. I was building an operating system. And about a year ago, coming towards the end of my PhD, I started the Arweave project. Good deal. Nice, short, sweet. And <laughs> I like that. Um, one, Congratulations. You got in on the Ether presale. So yeah. <laughs> I know that was great. I know a lot of people didn't 
um, plan to make money from that. I myself, somebody told me to buy Ether when it was at ten cents, and I got lucky then. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, he was very adamant too. I was like, "Look, man, Bitcoin or die. It's Bitcoin or life." And he was like, "Nah, man, it's not really. You should explore these other these other things." I'm glad I did. Um, so, a PhD in distributed systems. What does that entail? I mean, one, it has to give you a slight advantage when it comes to just having a knowledge base on how distributed system the the mechanics of distributed systems. But what does that entail and how does that tie into uh, your work here at Arweave? Yeah, so um, I was building a, a kind of what's called a multi-kernel operating system. So back in 2008, everyone was under the now we see deluded impression that you'd get like 500 core um, computers in every home in the next 10 years. And there were major scaling problems with operating systems if you have that many cores. Um, yeah, and so people were looking at this approach where you basically run what is essentially an operating system node per core in the machine, uh, and you treat it like it's a distributed system, each being uh, separate and having its own segment of RAM, and then they communicate with each other on top. And basically this approach died because the hardware just didn't appear. But what I was doing my PhD about was trying to use this approach to make hardware fault tolerance inside a computer. So the, the aim was to, to make it so that you could take out RAM uh, or like other bits of hardware from a computer while it was running and it would still continue to operate correctly. And this is kind of interesting for um, yeah situations like if you have a weather station out somewhere a thousand miles from the nearest human and you want the program that's running on that piece of hardware to run for like 30 years because it takes you, you know, seven days and a canoe trip to go and, and fix the hardware. So we were essentially building an operating system for, uh, yeah, hardware that can fail. It was actually pretty tangential to the work I started with Arweave. I got into that because I was looking at, um, well, so first of all, I should explain just a little bit. Arweave is not just a data storage protocol. It is an attempt to build information permanence for the first time in human history. The idea is that you should be able to put information onto this system and you should have confidence that it will be propagated into the future uh, ad infinitum. And the reason that this interested me was because I was reading a lot about uh, the development of authoritarian states. So typically they go through this phase where they, um, they start to modify records of the past in order to control or at least direct what their citizenry do in the future. So a really obvious example of this is Stalin removing, um, yeah, or, well, not photoshopping because it didn't exist at the time, but essentially airbrushing out uh, people from photographs that he was in in order to change the way that people perceived uh, his leadership and so change the way they acted in the future. But this happened in Nazi Germany and Maoist China. It's really pretty universal with these authoritarian regimes. So what I noticed while reading about this was that um, blockchain technology gives you this ability to distribute data globally, permanently and verifiably. But the problem with it is that it just doesn't allow you to scale. So we started the Arweave project and we looked at on-chain data storage that scales. And then that's how we got to here. With a few bumps in the road as well. 
it's interesting that you could take that unique approach and i for one had no idea like people we even had dreams of having 500 core processors and i wish i had 500 cores right that would be so cool i do so many things um <laughs> but you probably still get blue screen on windows though even with 500 cores <laughs> yeah i happens. mean that was the problem we were setting out to solve the idea was you can make an operating system that survives a blue screen of death Interesting. So I guess where we naturally take it next is, uh, you know, you, you're trying to, to solve the problem of getting the blue screen um, and having corrupt data and things not working as they should after you get blue screen. How is Arweave doing it better uh, than its competitors? Because this is a really competitive space now. So I always try to get the opportunity to say, like, okay, this is the problem that we're trying to solve. How are we solving it the best? Oh, so um, the blue screen of death, the operating system project was basically completely different. Arweave is, is a data storage protocol. Okay. Yeah, well, the operating system project was just what I was doing for my PhD. The, did, it, did it work well? I mean, you can talk <laughs> about it now. You can brag about it if it, if it, if it worked well. Yeah, it worked pretty well. You could um, crash nodes in the OS at random and sort of go in and change bits of data arbitrarily. Yeah, and it would just continue functioning. The nodes would just restart and continue going. It was pretty neat, but it, it wasn't commercially or sort of um, socially impactful. And I guess that's why we started the Arweave project. Well, congratulations on the, the milestone. You know, it's not commercially viable or whatever. Who cares? It's still, you still probably did great work. So, um, it was pretty. <laughs> I, I guess. Um, before we go into the problem specifically that Arweave is tackling, um, I'd like to, or do you worry that even if humanity, this is where we get a little philosophical, but I think my audience wouldn't appreciate it if I didn't, is do you worry that even if humanity has a provably, uh, a provable immutable record of information, that they just will choose to still ignore certain pieces? <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. I mean, attempting to solve the problem of information warfare and propaganda and uh, people making rational decisions is, is sort of... A different conversation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but what we can do is at least make a kind of system of collective human permanent uh, recall. So at least if people want to know the information, they can always access it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I always like to ask the philosophical questions. And it's usually the oh, answer the same way. It's like, I can't change humanity, man. What do you want me to do about that? <laughs> There's nothing I can do about that. So thank you for fielding that. Well, um, so now let's get into our weave. There's a specific problem that you outlined I get, and especially coming from your scientific background, uh, you're pretty good at outlining problems. So what is Arweave trying to tackle? At the like really, really high level, Arweave is, is attempting to tackle the problem of human memory being fallible. Mm. So the internet, if, if you imagine the world as a distributed, decentralized, uh, machine you can see that the people interact with one another which is really the same as sending messages in a distributed system 
Um, and they do things that, that generate consensus. So in uh, typically Western countries and some others, they use a democratic process whereby they all talk to each other and then eventually they vote on the issues or at least some representation of the issues. Um, yeah, and what the internet did was it enabled every node in that network or almost every node in that network to talk directly if it wanted to, to every other node. So it really made geography kind of irrelevant. What the Arweave project is attempting to do is to make time irrelevant too, if, that, if that's not too high level. So the idea is that you should be able to say something uh, at one point in time and have it accessible by everyone else at any later point in time. It's kind of freedom of speech across time, not just freedom of speech across geography. Wow. But another way of putting it is just permanent information storage. So if you have a blockchain appliance that needs to, um, yeah, it needs to store data for a long period of time. We have a partner that's uh, looking at conflict metal mining. And so, yeah, they, they use the R-Weave to store information about due diligence on where the metals came from, what quantity was produced, this sort of stuff. They put it on the R-Weave so that data is always available. Yeah, and so while it has this pretty high-level meta aim, there's a lot of really low-level use cases that are extremely um, yeah, worthwhile in the short term as well as the long term. You have to have, I mean, at the same time, you have to have a very simple and high-level uh, approach to get all those low-level use cases, though. Yeah, and, uh, the way you articulated that was very well. Uh, the internet kind of usurp geographical boundaries and you're trying to usurp temporal boundaries precisely yeah nicely put so okay so while we we can go straight into like what is one of those low-hanging fruit use cases um that you see our weave can be applied to our weave can tackle knock out of the ballpark so in like the really short term, there's two basic sets of users that we're looking at. One is places where information permanence wasn't available before, and we make it available, and then now they can do things that just they, <laughs> no other service in the world can offer them. Uh, and one of those is, do you know about the, um, the reproducibility crisis in science? I do not, but I'd love to learn. <laughs> so basically particularly in the social sciences, over the last few years, they found that about 80% of published academic, academic papers uh, have results that aren't reproducible, which is a, a polite scientific way of saying, <laughs> when we went back and we did what the, uh, the experimenters claimed that they'd done, again, we got completely different results. The, the result that they published probably actually wasn't correct which is a, a pretty major problem. In fact, it's a massive disaster. Um, yes. But one of the reasons that's hypothesized for this is that sometimes scientists that are acting in a um, malicious fashion, shall we say, they'll go out, they'll start a study, they'll say, this is what it is that I'm trying to prove or disprove. They perform the study, and at the end, they find that their results don't show what's called statist statistical significance. So... It's not clear the result. And then they go back and they mess with the data, basically, 
until they get a result that is significant, and then they can get it published and it's better for their career. So we're working with a partner from uh, one of the largest teaching hospitals in Europe, actually, uh, a group of professors there that are building a new kind of academic journal that publishes the protocol. So the thing that the scientist is attempting to prove onto the R-Weave in an encrypted form at the beginning. And then as they collect the data, they publish the encrypted data onto the network. And then once the, um, yeah, once the analysis is complete and they publish their papers, they release the decryption key and everyone can go back and they can verify that the data that they um, said they collected is all the data. And they haven't removed results. They haven't modified results. And further, that the protocol that they said they were going to follow at the beginning is in fact the one that they're claiming to follow at the end. And this gives like huge uh, veracity boosts to the claims that these researchers are making. So that's something that you just couldn't do before proper permanent information storage. Oh, and another part of that is it, it's pretty cool that then the, the research data that they collected is permanently available for other scientists to come and review and also potentially include in other analysis in the future. So that's pretty neat. But on the other side, there's, there's this problem that we notice a lot of blockchain appliances are having at the moment, which is they've got this kind of decentralized computation system, and that's great. But realistically, decentralized computation without storage isn't helpful. And all of the available storage solutions at the moment are um, that you have to pay continually for the data to be stored, to have upkeep. Mm -hmm. And this presents a problem for a blockchain project, right? Because the whole idea is that I pay to ha have my uh, computation performed, and then the record of that computation is stored indefinitely inside the system, meaning that I can go back and verify it, it at a later time. Well, the Arweave offers to these kinds of projects, which is really, you know, maybe 30 to 40% of all blockchain projects need something like this, is a pay once, store forever uh, data storage system. So they pay once, the data goes into the Arweave. And because the storage of that data offsets hashing that miners would otherwise have to perform, we can provide storage of that data indefinitely for a single time fee. And that means that the data uh, well, the computation performed on the other blockchain, say Ethereum, remains verifiable with the storage of the associated information at all times, rather than, say, if you use Filecoin or SIA even. Uh, at some point in time, the person that's maintaining that blockchain appliance is going to stop paying for that old data to be stored, at which point the information held about the, the sort of uh, meta information held about the computations that have happened on the Ethereum chain is lost. And so you lose some verifiability of the appliance. So this is something that we can offer almost all uh, blockchain appliances like today, and it's easy. You just use a HTTP interface. We've got libraries for five programming languages. You can get started with a junior developer in like half an afternoon. Wow. So... I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around it. Um, are you so? Are you storing hashes that prove that the data is being stored on a, on chain? What actually is going on chain? <laughs> All of the data is going on chain. So it's oh. a system that we call a block weave, which has a new associated uh, proof of work mechanism that we call proof of access. Oh. So essentially, what the block weave does is for any given block. 
let's call it n in the system, we produce a random number that's between zero and n, um, which is what we call the recall block. And in order to mine block n plus one, so the next one in the chain, not only do you have to include the hash of the last block, but you also include the entire contents of the recall block. And what this means is because you can't predict ahead of time what the recall block is going to be, as a miner, you're forced to store as many of the old blocks in the network as you can. And we've also modified the system so that you don't need to store all of the, all of the data in the network to have what you might call a full node. You, you just actually have to store the last block in the network, and then you are rewarded proportionally to the amount of previous blocks in the network that you store. Hmm. Okay. So you naturally answered the, how is this better than your competitors question before I could even ask it really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, wow, this is, um, this is, this is a good deal. So I guess what, what we can, what we can do now is kind of outline, um, you know, how can people get involved with this project? How, how, how do the developers get involved? If they listen to this and they say, wow, this is something I want to be a part of, which happens a lot in this community. It's one of the, you know, I don't know, pillars of this community is the open source uh, characteristics of it. Uh, how do they do that? How do they contact you? Uh, do you have Telegram, Slack, uh, WhatsApp? What is the going yeah. means? So developers are the focus of our project completely. They're, they will make or break it. Uh, so we've put a lot of effort into making sure the developer experience is as easy as possible. I mean, just a slight tangent. Um, so I bought the Ethereum presale on the hopes that I would actually be able to build things on Ethereum. I really loved the idea. Uh, but I'm still kind of disappointed about <laughs> what we actually ended up with. You know, I, I imagined a global general purpose computer that was decentralized. But what we kind of got was this smart contract system that was good for doing programmatic money, but you couldn't, for example, easily build a Facebook on top of the system, which was what I was interested in. So one of the things we did with the Arweave is we attempted to serve those developers that, that wanted to build those kinds of web applications, really, and sometimes desktop applications too, but they're just the sort of basic applications that users tend to use on an everyday basis in a decentralized way. And so, yeah, in order to build applications with Arweave, you use whatever program language you like. There's a simple HTTP interface that has get and post and has a querying language on top. And you just replace your calls to your database with calls to the Arweave. And then what you can do is because there is one Arweave, the sort of massive decentralized network, you can boot up as many instances of the program that you're running as you like. And the user experience is always the same because they're using the same data storage system. So you get that decentralization, but it's super simple to write the programs. So anyway, yeah, um, you can check out our GitHub for details about how to get started. And we have a Telegram group, um, although we do most of our developer discussions actually on our Discord server. Um, yeah, but we also have this system that we call the semi-autonomous fund. So the idea here is that it's essentially a automated investment program for people writing uh, 
applications on top of the Arweave. So if you start off, you get a GitHub repository uh, where you just say, look, I'm going to build this thing here. We'll give you a very small amount of R. And then if you build the application out so that it can actually send transactions to the network, we give you a slightly larger amount. And then we have this, this kind of system that follows typical seed series A, series B, series C funding options. Uh, yeah, available for people building applications on the system as they start to push more and more data traffic through the network. Um, yeah, so we have this, this large system of infrastructures to support application developers uh, and incentivize it, really. Get involved in the community. So it's interesting, um, one, to everyone listening, um, you need to join this Discord. Go. Uh, especially if you're on your computer right now listening, which I know that you are. I follow our download data very closely. Um, go <laughs> to that Discord. Um, but I got to ask you, it's very it's very um, good you brought it up that sometimes you introduce something to the wild and then its evolution takes place in a way you don't foresee. You know, Bitcoin is introduced to the wild as peer-to-peer -peer currency. It literally says it on the white paper. Last year, we learned that's a tough route. And then the real crypto zombie spawned, which is everyone who's highly active in r slash BTC. Um, sorry, guys. I know you listen, um, but you guys say some weird stuff. And so then Ether, Ethereum launches, and everyone thinks, this is great. We're going to have Skynet. It's going to be awesome. And that's not necessarily the case anymore. Really, the only great use case we've seen is ICOs, which aren't going to go away. They're only going to evolve, but they did get ugly really fast. Um, and like you said, a smart contract system. So if you had any fears for Arweave and how it could evolve, what do you, what could you even glean towards? Uh, sorry, you cut out for just a second. Could you repeat that please? So I said, if you, if you, so ether kind of, turned into just a smart contract system mm, um, yeah which is great and it's needed and it's going to evolve um but if you had any fears for are we even what it could become in the wild what what could they be well i mean one of the things that we that we looked at when we were building the semi-autonomous fund that i mentioned was the expectation that, that we're not going to be able to pick the winners you know, this is an entirely new kind of uh, data storage system that's really never existed, one that's truly permanent. Um, yeah, so we, so we made the fund in such a way that people can just show by utilization they get the reward. There's no reliance on us to choose who's going to win, who, who doesn't. It's just who puts the most data onto the network and, and use, usage in practice. Um, but where I think it could go, where I would like like to see it go in about 10 years time is that people refer to it as the single source of truth for, um, well, the single human archive of knowledge and experience, kind of like what Wikipedia attempts to be mixed with all of the news archives in the world in one place, but permanent decentralized cryptographically verified. And I think if we get to that point, it'll become a kind of parallel internet where if you want to publish something permanently, you use this. And if you want to publish something ephemerally, you use the internet. 
I even like you kind of got a little marketing play long term where you can say like, did you weave it in? I don't know. <laughs> we we have a lot of weave puns, yeah. <laughs> you pretty you, you just trademark all of them. Nobody else is gonna just go to town. <laughs> just go to town. Um, is there any um, ICO or public offering or anything that we should qualify the audience for, or is this a totally different blockchain that you built? Um, any descriptives like that you'd like to tell the audience? Yeah, so it is a totally different blockchain, well, a block weave implementation. So it's not running on top of Ethereum or anything. It's its own standalone thing. The network launches the main net in June 8th. Um, we're running a public token sale in the, the weeks leading up to the main net launch. But <laughs> I checked the numbers before coming on here, and I think we're about 14 times oversubscribed on the entire amount that we're raising, including private sale. So yeah, that, that public sale is going to sell out extremely quickly. Um, yeah, but we'll be on exchanges soon enough. And really, if you're a developer and you like the sound of what we're building, please get involved and get in touch. We're always interested to talk to people and help them out live with uh, coding. Like if you have any questions, we're always on hand to answer. Yeah. Um, and also just to add to what you said is that yeah, I believe this project, you graduated from Techstars, the same yeah, incubator as Uber. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, um, when it comes to projects in this space, from what I've seen through via this medium, the announcement series, you're definitely swinging for the fences in the best way possible. So, um, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I, I like to ask a question to everyone that does come on this series. Um, wow, I said series and Siri woke up. Relax, relax, computers. Uh, <laughs> so, um, is there anything that you wished I had asked that I didn't? Um, no, I mean, yeah, I think we covered like the, the social side of why we're trying to do this and also why it's commercially useful, how developers can get involved. Yeah. It's... Good deal. All well, right. Sam, thank you for this amazing announcement. Um, you know, I, I hope for the audience, I try to say as objective as possible, like leave the emotions out of it and just present the information. But um, I mean, I guess... The, I kind of waned away from that a little bit <laughs> with this interview. I give it two thumbs up. Um, All right. Thanks, man. It was great. I'm going to check out rweave.org. And to everyone listening, I'm going to put it in the show notes. I, I heavily recommend you go check out the white paper. Um, thanks for stopping by, man. Thanks for having me. <laughs>